Hey, it's Ian Altman. Before we dive into this week's episode, do me a favor and stop by and visit GiversEdge.com. There are only a few gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and they were all sourced by the ruling group who you can find at GiversEdge.com. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, if you've ever gone into Starbucks for a cup of coffee or just hang out or meet somebody, then my next guest should be near and dear to your heart. Howard Bihar is a guy who was the president of Starbucks North America and was the founding president of Starbucks International. In fact, he's the guy who was at the helm when they went from 28 locations to over 15,000 while preserving their amazing culture. We're going to talk about the biggest mistakes that organizations make when trying to instill culture in their organizations. We're going to talk about how to deal with organizations where there are people with different ideologies and what employees really care about and want to see from their leaders. Howard is a great guy. You're going to get a ton of information. So stay tuned and enjoy this interview with Howard Bihar. So, Howard, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ann. Great to be here. Well, I'm really honored to have you on here. I mean, obviously, Starbucks is a globally recognized brand, and I think one of the things that stands out the best about the Starbucks brand, about what what you've built and what you've done, is this notion of the culture that, that you've built. And before we dive into what people should do, what are some of the biggest mistakes or misconceptions that organizations have about culture that they can learn from? Well, they think that they uh, can go out and hire a consultant, and that consultant will give them culture. And what they don't understand is that, uh, or that will help them, ch- will change culture for them. They can consultants can help them on the journey, but they have to do the work. You know, every organization has a culture, whether it's defined or not. Like a family has a culture. Sure. You know, parents may not have sat down and talked with their kids about what matters in this family, you know, except when something goes wrong. But, you know, but they have a culture. And it's the same way with companies uh, have cultures, whether whether you're conscious of it or not. And the culture is reflective of the values of the organization that whether, whether spoken or unspoken and how those values are lived up to or not lived up to. And so you don't you don't escape it, and uh, you know people talk a lot about wanting to uh, wanting to uh, change culture or, or whatever it happens to be, or, or or wondering what their culture is, and they, what they don't realize is it, it is already there and it's being lived every day. Yeah. So so that misconception first misconception is probably that well I'm going to build a culture because we don't have one and what people need to yeah. recognize is whether you know it or not you've got one it just may be unintentional. Yeah, exactly. And that's the way that's the way it usually is. It's unintentional. And then the worst one is is where where all the mission statements and the values and the guiding principles are in the book or up on the wall and that's supposed to be the culture but they don't really live by those things. Those are just things to look at. And that creates a culture of conflict because the conflict is, here's what you say, but here's what you do. Yep. So so it's that notion of, well, here's what we should do, but when you really look at it, the leadership of the company isn't li- living it, which means the rest of the organization isn't living it, so they're kind of hollow words. Right. Yeah. And, exactly. And, and it's something that um, – it's interesting. I had um, – 
someone else on the program a while back, Robert Richman, who was the chief culture strategist at Zappos. And right. and and Robert says, look, you know, you can't necessarily mandate or dictate culture to an organization. Oh. It gets oh. built from within. So I'm curious your thoughts on that. Absolutely. It's totally reflective of who you are and how you act, what the re- rewards and recognitions are for. Right. And so everything you do creates culture, what you say, how you act. How you reward, how you recognize, how you pay or don't pay, how you serve, it's all that is all culture. And yep. if it's not intentional, if you're not focused on it and not intentional about it, then it just becomes whatever it's gonna become. Yep. So so when when we look at rewards and recognition, we look at compensation and how organizations are structured. What are, what are some of the key lessons? What are, what are the things that, that you saw in your years? Um, running Starbucks, what did you see that worked and didn't work? And what do you see in, when you're talking to other businesses about what works and doesn't work? Well, uh, uh, you know, things, you know, every organization and all leaders make mistakes. And so we, we always had this culture of, of this idea that we were all in it together and that we would always, you know, any big decisions, we'd always talk with each other about it. And I can't tell you, every once in a while, we would do something where we didn't talk to our people and we surprised them. And that broke down trust, which broke down the culture from what we thought it was going to be. So, you know, I think at Starbucks, what really worked was when we lived up to our commitments. When we said these are our values, we treat each other with respect and dignity, and we lived up to that value of respect and dignity. That uh, we said that money, that profits matter, but only in the sense that they provide us a, ve- a vehicle or a pathway to the future. Yep. And whenever we got that out of line, where we started beating people up over results too much, then it killed the culture. Yep. And trust broke down. And I think that happens very often, especially in publicly traded companies or companies that have outside investors, where they start managing or running the business to the quarterly performance instead of, you know what, if we treat our employees right and if we treat our customers amazingly, then everything else will kind of take care of itself. Yeah, and that's exactly it. And I think when we try to force ourselves on some sort of a financial outcome – it rarely happens because then our clients and our employees feel like we're squeezing them rather than serving them. Yes, exactly. That's absolutely true. So and companies make that mistake all the time. It's, you know, what you reward and recognize for add to the cult, adds to the culture. So you have to be careful. You, you know, you have to be thoughtful about that. If you reward, uh, reward performance that's not good, then people start to think, well, I don't have to have good performance because look at Joe. He got rewarded and he hasn't done very well. But if, re- if you reward good performance or you, re- re- you can reward good effort too, but it has to be honest and it has to be real. The yep. worst thing you can do in a company, right, is to is to just reward for no reason at all or recognize for no reason at all. So, so what were some of the ways that at Starbucks you would reward and recognize employees that helped build that amazing culture? So we had a little book called the Green Apron Book, 
And in the Green Apron book, it talked about our values and how those values came to life. And from that little Green Apron book, we created uh, a bunch of little cards that had the value on it or what, what, what the human value was. And then it had some uh, lines that people could write. And, and you could get, people would give each other those cards when they caught them living up to the values of Starbucks. And, I mean, thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of those cards were given up. And everybody could give, an, anybody could give another person one of those cards. But it just had to be, it had to be specific. It couldn't be, I like you or you're a nice guy. It had to be a reason for you to get that card, and it had to be on the card. People would put those cards in their cubicles or in their office, you know, and people would have 10 or 15 of them. And, and it was always a reminder of, you know, what was good at Starbucks and what were the things that we wanted to do. We had um, – So what, what were some of those values that were on the cards? Do you remember? Had to do with treating each other with respect and dignity, um, serving, serving customers – as if they are our friends, not our customers. Treating our communities in a way that we'd want to be treated. In other words, being, being part of the community, not just taking from the community, but giving back to the community. Yep. It would be things like um, uh, helping, another, helping a, a co-worker on a project, you know, where somebody was struggling, coming in and helping to coach. It was a myriad of things that That's they could great. have, all, all things. And so those behaviors just got constantly reinforced. Well, and the thing that I want the audience to kind of really step back and look at is, and and having 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 read um, read through the Magic Cup and read the other books that that you've written, you know, it's not about the coffee. One of the things that becomes perfectly clear is that you weren't saying, "Oh, by the way, here's a reward and recognition for selling more coffee today. Here's oh. a reward and recognition for." Closing a new deal, not that those things weren't important, but yeah. what you rewarded was the underlying values and behavior that drove those results. Exactly. You know, exactly. And, yeah, we had to achieve results, but we achieved our results through rewarding the behaviors that got those results. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people lose. They lose sight of because, for example – I'll talk to organizations on the sales side and they'll say, well, so here's the incentive we have for our salespeople, but the problem is they're making money if the customer isn't satisfied. And I'll right. often say, well, then why don't you make it so that a portion of their compensation is tied to customer satisfaction? So, well, right. how do we do that? I said, well, it's pretty simple. You, if, how, do you, how do you know your clients aren't satisfied? Well, we survey them. They're not happy. Okay. Then what if you said to the person, great. You only get revenue recognition on customers who are satisfied zero to 10 at a nine or a 10. So if the customer is not satisfied, even if you sold the deal, that doesn't work for us. Well, now your sales organization is committed just like the rest of the organization to ensure the customer success. So now you're not going to sell things that aren't integrity based. You're not going to sell things that don't produce results because exactly. you're going to make sure the customer is happy because that's how you're rewarded and recognized. Yeah, you know, it sounds it sounds so uh, you know it, like it's hard to do, but it is actually very simple. Yep. People and people want to know. Sure. They want to know what matters. Yep. Absolutely. And 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 here's the here's the interesting thing. It's actually, I believe, and I'm curious to get your take on this. I believe it's actually harder to tell somebody, 
hey, listen, we want you to build a great brand so that we build this loyalty from our customers and it generates a lot of buzz that that makes it almost habitual that people come in and do business with us every day. And the employee looks around and says, man, how do I do that? And if you said, look, I want you to treat our customers like you would treat a friend. I want you to treat the community like the community would want to be treated. I want you to always uphold these values. That's something that people can get their head around. And they can understand the why behind it. You tell them the what and the why. Yep. I love that. I love that. So it's so they understand they understand why they want to do it, not just some arbitrary direction. And I think that sometimes that falls into this trap of people taking what they perceive to be the easy way out versus maybe something that's more challenging. It's integrity based. And I know it's something that you incorporate into the magic cup, uh, which, by the way, just the notion of kind of this parable or story, I often tell people that. You can understand things a whole lot better when it's written as kind of a third-party reference. So, right. for example, I can tell a, I can tell a business, oh, your culture isn't good, and people will get defensive. Or if I say, gee, other companies I talk to think they have great culture, only to find out they don't. How common right. is that? The other person will say, oh, that's our problem. But if I said it, they would they would challenge it. If I tell them about someone else, then they can identify and it works. So I I love how in the story you've got somebody who starts off trying to take the easy path and realizes that's really not going to work so well. They actually have to follow the integrity path instead. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that's what really works in organizations, period. You know, and, and you know the difference when you go in, you know, the ones that really care and you know, the, you know, the organizations that are empowered. Right. I was on the phone this morning uh, with a retail organization, and this retail organization has been trying to create a membership group. So I get on. All I'm trying to do is buy a lamp. That was that simple. I was trying to buy a lamp, and my my email wouldn't work. And no matter what way I tried to do it, couldn't get it to work. I spent an hour and a half this morning trying to buy a lamp. And you know what the person <laughs> told me to do? Write a note to the go into the, your the deal and write a note to, to contact the company. And I said, "You mean to tell me that I have to do this? You can't help me. You can't take care of this." It blew me away. There's an organization that is not saying to their people, "Do what it takes." Yep. Well, and, and I think that's the, the the challenge is that it's well the easiest path for us is if you just do this instead of what's easiest for you as a customer. It's it's interesting. We use this we use this tool in my business for scheduling appointments so people can go to a calendar and pick the time that's convenient for them. And the way we present it is very intentional because we don't just say, oh, please go here because it's convenient for us. What we say is, look, to avoid back and forths, you can click on this link. You'll see my calendar and you can pick whatever time is convenient for you and I'll speak with you then. Yeah. So that so that so that the recipient understands. Look, this isn't for my convenience. This is so that you can see my calendar and pick whatever time works for you, and it'll minimize our time associated with scheduling. Exactly. And part of it is just explaining what that experience could be like. Yeah, that's it. You're you're serving human beings. Yeah, and and I think that's something that a lot of businesses forget is that. There's a human being on the other end. Even if you're in the even if you're in the B two B space, there's a human being on the other side. It's all people. That, that this idea, you know, if you're a widget maker and you make a widget, that 
you can get disconnected from thinking that you're serving somebody, but even a widget maker is serving a human being. The widget maker makes the widget. The widget goes into a printing press. The printing press gets sold to a publishing company. The publishing company produces a newspaper or a magazine that gets delivered to somebody's house to inform or to entertain a, a human being. Yep. So the, the, the supposedly lowly widget maker right, has just as much influence and potential to serve uh, another human being as the person who delivered or wrote the article. That's, that's a, it's a, it's a great lesson. A, um, a friend of mine, I believe it's Marcus Sheridan, um, who writes all about content marketing and integrity, um, in, in honesty and transparency and communication. Marcus goes, uh, he and I have shared the stage numerous times and someone at a conference said, well, what you're talking about is great for B2B, but what about for B2C? And Marcus said, look, B2B, B2C, here's what you need to understand. It's all P2P. It's all person to person. Yep. And as soon as you get, as soon as you understand that, you'll be a lot more successful. Boy, is that the truth? That's a, that is a perfect example because that's how it is. Now, Howard, one of the other topics that you cover in the Magic Cup that I think is something that a lot of people can learn from at least here's the way that 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 I kind of saw it is there's there's a lot of discussion about well how do I deal with millennials how do I deal with people with kind of different ideologies and in the book you kind of write about this notion of you've got your traditional employees have been there a long time and how they kind of long for the way it's always been in the business. And then you have these more progressive people that want to see how the company evolves. So how do you embrace both so that no one feels alienated and you kind of get a multiplier effect of one plus one equals three? Well, I think the way to do it is to make the assumption that human beings are human beings. That, you know, we talk a lot about the millennials or we talk about the baby boomers and how they come from different places. The truth of the matter is they don't. They All people want to be I love and be loved for the most part. All people want to grow as human beings. All people want to be treated with respect and dignity. All people want to learn more and, and gain more for knowledge and gain more for themselves and for their families. So when you get down to those basic things, right, then you, then you can start having con the same kinds of conversations and you bring them together. And, and the, you know, people, people, when you start having honest, real, authentic conversations, whether it's with millennials and with uh, baby boomers or whoever, the G Generation X, it doesn't make any difference. They relate to each other as human beings. Yep. And, and that's what you got to do. You know, I mean, we all kind of at some points in our life kind of live in this past that never really existed. Yep. Right? Absolutely. A absolutely. And, and I think that one of the challenges is that oftentimes what I'll see in businesses where they struggle with this is the baby boomer complains that, well, these millennials are doing things differently than us. And the millennials complain that, well, the boomers aren't doing things as quickly or the way I would do them. Yeah. Instead of each one, I think your your message of respect and dignity is key, which is, look, you need to respect the other person's perspective. You need to make sure that their views are treated with dignity because if you if you discount their perspective, then guess what? Your culture is going to be fractured. Yes. And we need each other. Yeah. Right? We, it's like a family. You get married to, you know, uh, if you get married or have a significant other – and 
in your life, that person is going to be different than you. They've come from a different set of experiences. As soon as you have kids, you realize this. So I have six grandchildren. Every one of those grandchildren is completely different. Yep. They have different needs. They have, but at the end of the day, what makes it all work is our values, the things that we espouse together, the things, how we live our lives as a family. And that's exactly what has to happen in Kaido organization, whether you're 18 or whether you're 78. You know, I think it's easy for people to to overcome or, or overlook, which is that notion that you're, everyone's shaped by their different behaviors. And I think that if you had an organization where everybody was exactly the same, um, you'd have a pretty narrow market because you wouldn't have a perspective of other people. I'm guessing that over the years at Starbucks, when you had millennials starting to come in, they probably identified opportunities for the business that other people didn't see. Yeah. Just because they brought a different perspective. Absolutely. That's exactly what happens. And they share with each other. And the baby boomer says, okay, that's great. Have you thought about this? Or how can I help you here? Or whatever it happens to be that they, you know, what's added with each person. It's, it's you know, the addition of each person's ideas and thoughts that makes it all work. Yeah. What, what, was, the, what was the biggest hurdle? Because I imagine, I know that, you went from you took the company from twenty eight stores to fifteen thousand stores, right. and on the surface, people might say, "Oh, yeah, it grew pretty pretty uh, significantly." I don't. Th- I mean, people have to really step back and think about twenty eight to fifteen thousand is a huge leap. What were the biggest hurdles and the biggest lessons that you learned in that transformation? Well, the point, there's a point in time where you can't touch everybody. Yep. And you're used to touching everybody a lot. And all of a sudden, you know, you have 300 stores and, you know, or 400 stores and where you used to know every manager and assistant manager and almost all the baristas by name. Yep. And could even talk about their families. All of a sudden, you can't do that anymore. So you have to make that work with inside of a system. And so you have to get the regional people to take on the challenge and the challenge of making it happen. So it, the biggest issue, I think, was communication, is how do, you, how do you effectively communicate across 50-some countries in all those different languages and talk about the things that matter to the organization, the values, and how do you bring those things to life? That was a big one. The second one was that we, we grew past our people really quickly. The, the business was growing so fast that it was just almost impossible to, to uh, grow our people as fast as the business was growing. So we had to spend lots of time and effort bringing people along. And then, you know, people would get mad when we had to bring in new people from outside the organization that had experiences that we needed. But, you know, so we had to always be working on that and looking out for that, making sure the organization stayed together and and bad things didn't start to happen with inside the culture. But, yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was that I finally realized that the people were my day job and the business was my day job. Yep. That I had to spend all my time during the day on people, people, people. Yep. And that's what I did. Well, and I think obviously the proof is in the pudding or the proof is in the coffee, right? I mean, it's yeah. just, it's, it's obviously, it's a brand that is respected, recognized, inst- you know, people instantly know what Starbucks is. And guess what? People don't go there because, oh, there's no other place I can get coffee. No, a lot of places you can get coffee. Yeah, it, it has nothing to do with that. 
it, it has really nothing to do with that. I mean, when my 17-year-old daughter says, oh, I'm going over to Starbucks, it's not because it's the only place she can get, um, you know, a frozen blended drink. Right. It's, you know, it, it's that's that's where she likes to go because there's something about the culture that she identifies with and says, I just feel good at this place. This is a place I want to go hang out at or hang out with my friends at, not just a place to get a beverage. Yeah, exactly. So what's the if, – if you had to give people one piece of advice, and it's always dangerous to do this, but if you had yeah. one piece of advice for people trying to create the kind of culture that you fostered, what would that be? Well, know yourself. Know yourself, what your values are. Be, be conscious about what your values are and how those values come to life and how you want those things to come to life in your organization. Make sure that your purpose is clear and that everybody, as best as you can, attaches to that purpose that's greater than themselves. If, if all it's about is money, then that's the kind of organization you're going to get. So to me, it's about, you know, primarily about, about knowing what your values are and how you want to live up to those values and really being specific about it and making sure there's clarity in your organization about that. And then, and then attachment to purpose. Um, you know, those things matter. Uh, if if it, people are just coming to work for a job, then that's the kind of person that you get. Then they're just not going to care that much. It's not that they're bad people. It's not my point. It's yep. not good people, bad people. It's up to leadership to make sure that people attach. Yep. It's a funny thing when it comes to interviews of potential employees. One of the things I always look for is I'll say, well, so what haven't we answered? What would you like to know? And the person who asked the, the first question they ask, if it has to do with compensation or hours, we know they're not the right fit. Exactly. If the person says, well, so what else can I learn here? I love that. If it's, well, how do we measure success in the organization? Wow, I love that. If it's, you know, what else can I do to contribute and make an impact? Wow, you love those. But it's those questions of, so what time do I have to be here in the morning? It's like, you know what? You don't have to be here in the morning. Yeah, you don't have to be here. So I have a, I have a great story to close our, our sure, conversation please. with, if we have the time. So Absolutely. when I started Starbucks International, I went one day of having plus or minus 10,000 people reporting directly or indirectly to me to next day zero. So I had to build a team from scratch. Well, we were, you know, we were three, four hundred stores at the time. So, you know, it wasn't like we were a dinky little organization. So I started, I needed a lawyer to do, to help do agreements. I needed an operations person, human resources person, a financial person, and um, a couple other positions. Well, I was, I was recruiting and I was trying to take everybody from inside the company. So, I was recruiting for a finance person. I started talking to lots of people. And there was one particular person that I just thought thought was great. Everybody liked him. And, you know, he was a Harvard MBA type in finance. And so I went and sat down with him and talked to him. And I was trying to lay out this dream of what we were trying to do. And I said, you know, uh, we're not we're going to use Starbucks coffee to build bridges among people around the world. Because the truth of the matter is I didn't really care that much about opening another store. Well, you know, once you open a store, you open a store, but it's the purpose behind that store sure. that counted to me. So we are going to use Starbucks coffee to build bridges about uh, to people around the world. So the first question the guy asked me, he said, well, what will my new title be? 
And I said, his name was David. And I said, David, don't, don't worry about the title. You, you know, you, you can be king. I don't, who cares? You know, think about what we're going to accomplish. And then the second question out of his mouth was, so will I, what kind of raise will I get? And I said, David, I think your priorities are wrong here. This thing, you're going to make more money than you ever thought. If this works, you'll make more money than you ever thought imaginable. So, you know, naturally, you know what happened after that. I said, geez, David's not the right guy for me. So the next guy I went to is a guy named Troy Alsted. Troy was a guy that I had hired at Starbucks, one of the first finance guys. And I sat down, I said to Troy, I said, Troy, here's the dream. We're going to use Starbucks coffee to build bridges among people. What do you think his first question was? How are we going to do that? How can I help? How can I help? When can I start? That was his first question. He didn't ask anything else. What do you think happened to Troy? He became the president of the company. Yeah. Right? Why? Because he cared about what he was doing. He attached to the purpose. That's a, that's a great lesson. And, and I will tell you that, by the way, I love the story. It's a great, great way to wrap up. And I think that people can learn so much through stories. The thing that I really enjoyed about the Magic Cup was that you're reading a story. You're reading kind of almost like a fantasy story. And the business lessons are so clear in there that people who read it will be entertained and hopefully can step back and say, wow, that's what I should be doing in my business. Yeah. And I think that's a a great model that people can really uh, really uh, learn from. What's the What's the best way for people to get a hold of you or to learn more? I'm sure people are going to want to reach out, and uh, obviously we can include all this in the show notes. We don't have to worry about people writing it down. But um, what's What's the best way for them to reach out to you? My email address address, which is hb at howardbhar.com, or I'm on LinkedIn and on Twitter, but. They can send me a note to my email address. That's fantastic. Well, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. Uh, I just uh, I know that people get a ton out of it. I can't encourage people enough to um, to pick up a copy of the Magic Cup, share it with your teams, and uh, obviously it's uh, lessons that can help build a significant organization and really impact the world. And I appreciate you for sharing your views. Thanks, Ian. I appreciate it. If you ever have a chance to meet Howard in person, take the opportunity. He's just a great human being and a wonderful guy. Let me give you the quick 30-second takeaway of the key information I think you can apply and use in your business right away. First, don't think that you're going to hire a consultant to provide culture. You have a culture in your business, like it or not, and just making a statement doesn't mean that you're living it. When you're growing a business and you get beyond the point that you can touch everything, what Howard teaches us is that... Somebody needs to know every single employee and their families and make sure they know that they're trusted and valued. And of course, the whole idea of respect and dignity and love and be loved is something that Howard shares that cuts across millennials, boomers, across the board. And of course, I can't recommend his latest book, The Magic Cup, more. It's a great parable. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you want me to address, if there's another guest you think I should have on the program, please let me know. Drop me a note personally at ian at ianaltman.com. I really appreciate it when you take the time to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or share it with friends. Plus, it makes me feel good that people are actually tuning in and sharing it with others. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.